After singing that song, I almost want to change what I was going to preach on and just talk about how Jesus can, will hold on to us. There's a lot of talk about what goes on. It's probably because we're reading through Revelation right now as a, uh, in the Bible reading plan. If you ever have a doubt who Jesus is or if he will hold you fast, would you just read that crazy book and uh, realize that he is coming. And the call of the ages of all the saints is, come Lord Jesus. And so... It is our call today as well. But until he returns, we have to walk by faith. And so um, that is what we're going to talk about today. We're actually going to, uh, well, not take a pause, because we just finished Ephesians last week. So we had 40, whatever, seven weeks of Ephesians. We closed the uh, book on that book. And we are moving into the season of stewardship and then Advent. So we're supposed to start stewardship today. Treb, however, is not feeling well and is, in, is at home, so uh, I'm going to preach what's called a, uh, we always call them one-offs because they're not connected to a bigger series of anything, and uh, we're going to be looking at biblical hospitality today, and the reason we're going to do that is in part because, well, okay, let me say this. When we, when I talk about biblical hospitality, okay, or hospitality in general, I know that some of you are you're like, right now you're thinking, great. Um, and you're right now slightly scared because what you're thinking is, oh my gosh, what if someone comes over to my house right now? And there's laundry, there is uh, on the couch, which is where it never should be and is where it always ends up. And there are things, there's things like, they can't even sit on this, the things, the chairs or whatever. And like, why is, why is the coffee table sticky? I mean, that, those are things that, these, they're terrifying. When you think about having someone, like imagine... Someone said, okay, I'm coming over to your house right now. Ha, ah, just breathe deep. It's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about having people into your home. And I need you to realize that uh, not everybody is geared naturally for having people in their house. If you know Jenny and I, we, it's something we do kind of naturally. And we have, we have we've, since we've been married, we've always, our house has been full of people. When we lived in Guatemala, obviously, our door was always open, and we had people in our home all the time, and so we have people in our house. I don't know how many people, a lot of people come through our house every week, so it's, it's but I also know that what is normal and kind of natural for some is, like, radical and crazy for other people. So, like, if you were to ask me to make a, a spreadsheet with a pivot table right now, I, I have no idea how to do that. I see, I would, I panic. So, and I, but if you ask Daniel Kenworthy, like, he's already thinking right now, oh my gosh, how can I... Yes, how can I do this? Because it's natural. It's like his world, right? If you'd ask me how to fly a plane, I, you're not the guy I want in the cockpit because I, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Uh, if you are in a car wreck and are badly injured, uh, you want Guy Peterson working on you because he's a doctor and he knows how to do those things. I would panic and pray and then call a doctor, right? So, but all of us are called to hospitality. And we're going to be looking at today some of the reasons why we're called to hospitality. And then part of why I want to do this is because I want to sort of wet your palate for thinking about how the week you can use your home as a place of ministry. It is our deep desire here at this church that we be a church of mature believers who are living out the gospel in their homes and neighborhoods, okay? And one of the things that looks like is hospitality. So, in the spring, or in the, we haven't actually figured it out exactly when. As you know, we don't always figure things out super far in advance. But in the spring, we want to start doing some teaching on how to do that well. Because I want you to be a people who is encouraged 
and who feels uh, empowered and equipped to have people in your home who don't know Jesus so that you can love them well and create opportunities to talk to them about the gospel, okay? And we believe that God puts you where he puts you on purpose and that your neighborhood is a great place to start the ministry of the gospel. So having said all that, we're going to look at some passages today. This is sort of a biblical theology of, of hospitality, a very brief one, and then some encouragement for uh, what that what hospitality is, what it isn't, what it is, and then some ways that we can begin kind of living it out and a bit of a challenge for us as we move into the Thanksgiving period. So don't worry. I'm not going to require you to have people over to your house for lunch today, although you're welcome to. And, uh, uh, but we are going to pray, and then we're going to dive into uh, the Bible. We're going to be jumping around a bit, so we won't be studying like a passage. We'll be pulling out a few different passages and looking at what the Lord is teaching us there. So pray with me, and let's get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you love us, that we can sing a song about Jesus holding us fast, and that I don't have to be good enough or strong enough or brilliant enough or holy enough to earn eternal life, that instead that I can come to you and say, Lord, I am not enough, I will never be enough, I cannot be enough, but you are enough, you are sufficient and that you were enough to hold on to us. So Lord, I, I pray today as we look at hospitality that you give us a beautiful glimpse into your very heart. Help us to see how you have loved us and how we can then love others well in response to your love for us. Lord, I don't know what everybody brought here today. I don't know what's on everybody's mind or their heart or what they're thinking about or worried about, but I know that people come here with stuff. They come here with struggles. They come here with worries and concerns. They come here with having thought on the way here. They come here with exhaustion, um, worry, looking into the next week. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to simply be present right now in this moment for this time to lay our worries aside and to trust that you will make everything okay. Lord, we want to be people who pray for each other. And so um, just pray for yourself right now and ask that the Lord would teach you what he wants you to learn, that he would encourage you and fill you with knowledge of him, better understanding of who he is. We pray every week. We just want you to pray for other people. We want to be people who practice praying for others. And so pray for someone around you, someone you know or do not know. And pray that the Lord would teach them what he wants them to learn today, that he would encourage them, that he would shine light into the dark, scary parts of their soul and bring life and light there. Lord Jesus, we look forward to what you want to teach us today. Um, help us to listen to you as you teach us through your word. In Christ's risen name we pray. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're not going to be in a particular passage today because we're looking at a topic, which is hospitality. I'm going to use the words biblical and Christian hospitality interchangeably. Those are, not, those are the same thing. And so if I say biblical hospitality or Christian hospitality, I just mean hospitality. I should probably just say hospitality, and you understand what I mean. Um, 
First, we're going to look at some things that are taught in the epistles. So in the New Testament epistles, hospitality being a topic that is often addressed but not specifically explained. Like it doesn't say how to do it. And part of the reason for that is because for the readers of the Bible in the New Testament and the Old, hospitality was a part of their cultural fabric. Like it was not something that they had to learn how to do. They just knew it. And even, even today, if you go to the Middle East or if you go to the Far East, it is hospitality is deeply, deeply important. If you spend any time with our Afghan friends, they are the most hospitable people I have ever met. And so it's a part of, it's a part of their culture, welcoming people into your space, into your home, and making them feel loved and treasured. They're really good at it. And Americans struggle a bit because we're kind of isolated in little isolation boxes and we live in little homes and little, we're lucky to have the doors and then, and then fences that keep us from our neighbors and then we live in blocks that keep us, you know, so that's what we do. But get in little isolation boxes on wheels and drive to our isolation window and drive, sit in our isolation cubicle, you know, all this. Doesn't take long to realize that Americans are pretty good at being isolated. So hospitality is the opposite of that. And the folks that were reading uh, Peter and Paul and, and James and, in the New Testament, they understood what he meant. But we're going to dive into some of those things. First of it is uh, it's first a requirement for service for elders, and it's a requirement for, uh, for widows to receive aid. And then it's also a command that's given. So first is the, the requirement we're going to look at, and that's going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Paul's writing to uh, Pastor Timothy and giving him instructions on how to, uh, how to do things. And one of the things that his job was was to set up elders in uh, the church that he was in in that time in Ephesus. And so, let me find 1 Timothy. It's sneaky. Right by 2 Timothy, but sometimes it hides. Okay, so 1 Timothy 3, 2. If you've ever read the qualifications for uh, overseers or elders and deacons, uh, you'll find uh, these things to be, there's one in, in 1 Timothy and one in Titus. And among other things, in verse 2, he says, Now the overseer or elder must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, etc., etc. That word, hospitable. Remember that word, and we're going to uh, open up that, that, that word in just a minute here as we study through these things. At the end of 1 Timothy is uh, chapter 5, not quite the end, but he's giving instructions on how to uh, deal with, with widows. How do we take care of them? What does it look like? And as a requirement for these widows, in 1 Timothy 5, 9, it says this, no widow may be put on the list. Apparently there was a list. And they may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So you can leave your finger there, and then in Titus 1.8, he says this about uh, setting up elders on Crete. And apparently the Cretans were just pretty horrendous people. And he says that the elder must, it says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So Paul has laid this uh, requirement for leaders in the church and for uh, these widows who are receiving financial aid a requirement that they be hospitable. So this uh, word hospitable in your Bible is probably translated hospitable. For the widow, it says that she is um, showing hospitality. So it's a little bit of a different word. We're going to dive into uh, the word study for what it means a second, second here as we dive into the uh, commands for other folks. But 
One of them is having a quality of being hospitable. The other one is showing it or demonstrating this hospitality to other people. The word showing hospitality literally means uh, opening your door or drawing in uh, the foreigner or the stranger or giving them lodging. So giving strangers a place to stay is literally what that means. Okay. Paul says the requirement for leaders in the church is that they be practicing hospitality. Okay. He also says if there are widows, uh, what these widows are doing, by the way, is they're doing the work of the gospel. Look at these things. Um, uh, showing hospitality, washing feet, helping those in trouble, devoting ourselves to all kinds of good deeds. And the church was taking in money and then supporting these widows so that they could continue on in that ministry. Does that make sense? So there's a whole other tangent, by the way, of, of, of uh, widows and dealing with uh, caring for aging parents. And if you ever want to know, you just read up in verse 7. Uh, you were supposed to make sure that your parents are taken care of because it says this, give the people these instructions too so that no one would be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So um, if you come up to me and be like, I don't really like my parents and I think I should cut them off and let them die and suffer, I'm going to have some harsh words for you. I'm just going to read what Paul said and let the Lord deal with you. But um, total tangent, but back to uh, this requirement and now a command. So this is not going to be a surprise that the uh, writers of the New Testament gave commands to practice this hospitality. So in most of the letters, like in Romans, for instance, there's this passage of uh, doctrine and then there's a passage of uh, a sections of, of practical living it out. Okay, we know this now, now what do we do with it? Romans 12 is famous for that. And in 12.9, Paul starts this, this like bullet list of things that we can listen to and do. This is a great passage to like memorize or carve on something or needlepoint. Anybody do that anymore? Put needlepoint on stuff? Anyway, uh, I've never done that. have no idea how, but if this is one of the things that you do, maybe you can hang it up in your house. So I'm just going to read uh, all of 9 through uh, 13 because it's all just kind of one big sentence, and it's good to read. Okay, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Moves on. There's a lot of things in there. There's 47 sermons, but the, it ends there with practice hospitality. Okay, we're going to jump to Hebrew 13.2, and then we're going to dive back into what some of these words mean, okay? Hebrews 13.2, which is kind of a famous hospitality passage, of course. 13.1 says this, and went through Hebrews, I don't even know when it was now, a couple years ago when we hit this passage, he says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it, which is fascinating and a bit of a terrifying passage. Entertain strangers, for by doing so, people have entertained angels. And then finally, 1 Peter 4, in the context of uh, a church that was experiencing persecution, beginning to experience the persecution coming out of Nero, and then there's a whole series of of emperors. It wasn't just Nero. He was bad, but there was actually worse ones who were uh, persecuting the church. In the context of that, he says here in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality to one another, reciprocal and without grumbling, which is always a stickler. <laughs> He's like, you can offer, but don't be grumbly about it. So uh, if you're going to give hospitality and this idea of one another, the context of this, of course, is that there are going to be people who, because of persecution, have been kicked out of their homes and they need somewhere to stay. So you believers, open your homes to them and bring them in. Offer to them. Don't let them make them seek it out. You find people who don't have a place to stay and say, hey, come stay with me. 
and then do that without grumbling. That's what Peter's saying. All right, so if you go back to Romans 12, for instance, and we look at this word, so the, the, the Greek word here for hospitality is a, a compound word. I'm going to teach you a new word today. Ready? It's phylloxenos. You ready? Phylloxenos. Um, so it's a compound meaning like the phylo or philo is the first part of it. Uh, it means uh, to love or to befriend, right? We have the root word for uh, phileo, which is brotherly love, where we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And so phylloxenos. So xenos is the word for uh, stranger or foreigner or it can be translated refugee, but it's someone who is foreign to you, who is uh, outside of the people that you normally associate with, okay? So, and it's the same, like the Greek, we get the word philosophy, right? Philosophia in Greek is philosophia, a lover of or a befriender of knowledge, Sophia knowledge. So a philosopher is a lover of knowledge, and philoxenos is a lover of the stranger, okay? Or a befriender of the stranger. If you don't know how to memorize work, you can like put it to song, like... Philoxenos, like, do, 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 do. Anyway, so like, you got the, maybe it'll stick in your head, but so you've got this idea of being a lover of a stranger, finding people that you don't know and learning to be a lover and befriending them, okay? Philoxenos. So when Paul says here, practice hospitality, that's just one word, philoxenos. It means to do this thing. They translate it, practice, practice hospitality. Actually, that one is going to say, there's going to be a word there in front of, 13, or excuse me, in front of hospitality, that means your Bible may say pursue hospitality. And the reason that it says pursue or practice, it gets translated practice because you want to practice the thing. I mean, if you go to, if you go to football practice, like you practice football, right? You don't practice ballet at football. I mean, I guess you could practice ballet somewhere else. If you go to choir practice, you practice singing. If you go to band practice, you practice playing your horn or whatever. If you go to whatever you're practicing, if you're a doctor and you practice medicine or a lawyer, you practice law, you're, you're doing the thing, right? And so he's saying, okay, do the thing of hospitality. But that word practice or pursue is the same word that Paul uses, excuse me, that Jesus uses when he's talking to Saul as he's walking to Damascus. And Jesus interrupts Saul. Saul is going to Damascus in his persecution of Christians to find them and imprison them and be implicit in their death. And Jesus interrupts that and comes in and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. It's the same word for practice. It means to pursue or run after something. So Paul, knowing that, this would be the same word that Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, I want you to pursue hospitality. It is not passive. It is deeply active. It's zealous, actually. So he wants us to, with a zeal that a persecutor of someone has, to pursue hospitality with people. Pursue loving the stranger, pursue philoxenos, doing this thing. We look at Hebrews chapter 2, it's the same, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 13 2, it's the same thing where they say uh, to, to practice hospitality, and so by doing so, you, some of you have entertained angels, which is a marvelous and terrifying thought, right? I, I, that is not hyperbole. The writer of Hebrews is not saying, Oh, well, some of you may have in a like way, in some way, oh, he says, by practicing hospitality, some of you have entertained angels. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that by practicing hospitality, some of them have entertained angels. That's what that says. So don't forget to entertain strangers. So the word for entertain is to welcome them, right? Not entertain like, la, 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 I'm going to do a show. It's philoxenos is the word, right? Be a lover of the stranger. 
Practice hospitality. Don't forget, though, is that extra word. Don't forget to do it. Why? Some of those people are not people, is what he's saying, which is fascinating, and I, I have no idea if we've ever had an angel in our house. Zero clue. I don't know. I've had a lot of interesting encounters with people, but all I know is that as he's writing that to the Hebrews, he's like, don't forget to do that. And then Peter, remember, Peter is writing in a context of persecution. So these are believers who are beginning to suffer because of their faith in Jesus. Not just suffer like um, someone was mean to me. I don't know if anyone here has actually suffered physical persecution. Like in Hebrews says, you know, you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood. But Christian martyrdom, Christians being gathered up for their faith and, and murdered, that was beginning to happen in Peter's time. And he's saying, offer hospitality. It's kind of passive here in the translation, but it's not a suggestion from Peter. It is open your home to people, especially to one another. He's talking about uh, hospitality in the context of the, of the Christian family, okay? Hebrews and Romans is not limiting to that. They're just saying open, open gates, practice hospitality. Peter is saying, make sure that you're practicing hospitality first among the family of God. Like if there's someone in your family, in your church family, who doesn't have a place to stay, you go fix it. You offer them hospitality, and don't you dare grumble about it. Okay, why is it so important? Why does three different uh, epistles mention this, and Romans, uh, four. I mean, you got Romans, Paul, you got Paul writing Romans, Paul writing to Timothy, Paul writing to Titus, whoever wrote Hebrews, Peter writing. They're all mentioning hospitality. It's a requirement for these, uh, uh, these widows to receive basically financial aid from the church. It's a requirement of, of uh, leadership in the church, and it is commanded of believers in Scripture. Why is it so important? Well, we're going to dive back into Hebrews, excuse me, wrong book, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and if you remember back, I don't even know, sometime in 2020, what year is this? 2023, 2022? I don't know when we were in Ephesians 2. It seems like a long time ago. But in Ephesians 2, Paul ends this long passage of uh, really from Ephesians 1, 3, all the way through 2, 10 of our identity in Christ and who we now are in Christ, ending with, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, practicing hospitality being one of those. But why? Why is it so important to the writers of the New Testament, and why is it so important to the Lord, ultimately, is the question that we ask. So remember, we're going to start in verse 11 just to kind of get the uh, context for it and really read through uh, through 13, and then jump down to 19. So remember this idea of the Jews and Gentiles being separated, and that's what Paul is going to express here, this great mystery that's been revealed. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that's the Jews, that done by the body, in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. That foreigners is the word xenos of the compound word philoxenos. Foreigners are strangers. You were xenos to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, without God in the world. They were strangers, aliens, foreigners to hope. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So you see these people who were the Zenos have now been brought near. And then he talks about this dividing wall of the law has been broken down. And then in verse 18, for through him we, have, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We've been made one family. The foreigner and the, the person who's in the citizen have both been made citizens of God's household. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, xenos, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So do you see what God has done here? He has taken those, the xenos, the, those who are far away, the foreigner and the stranger, and what has he done with them? Has he left them over there? Has he left them out in the cold? Has he left them to fend for themselves? What did he do? He went out and brought them near. He brought them into his home and he made them his children. That is what we're talking about here. So why is it so important to the writers of the New Testament that we practice hospitality? Because God practiced hospitality with us. He is the ultimate phylloxenos. He is the lover and the befriender of the stranger. You and I were separate from Jesus. I don't know how many of you came to Christ as an adult and remember what it feels like with an adult mind to be separated from God. It's awful. And most people who come to faith in Jesus as adults, they are like, they're on fire the rest of their life because they remember what it's like. I don't remember. I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 or I don't know when I became a believer sometime in that process in my teenage, preteen years at some point. And then in college, started running after the Lord. But I don't remember with a, a, an adult mind conceiving of what it means to be separated from God and feeling his wrath and feeling that separation. If you've ever felt that, then you understand what it means to be welcomed somewhere. And you've been welcomed by God, not just called out to, but brought in. Do you remember the parable that Jesus tells of the wedding feast? And he has all these people who are invited. There's this group of people there, the Jews. And they're all, they're all dressed up. And they're like, hey, come on to the wedding feast. And they're like, oh, I've got to do such and such. And i got to do this. And i got to bury this. And i got to do this thing with the ox. And so Jesus is like, fine. You kick them out. And I want you to go into the hedges and the byways and bring everybody in. That is what God has done with the Gentiles. He has gone out and he has sought us and he's brought us in. And you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You're no longer xenos, but now fellow citizens. Fellow, uh, the word, uh, it's, a, it's the same word for, anyway, it's, the idea of being a citizen now is uh, this, we now share in a, uh, a corporate identity with God's people. And we are now members of God's, God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This is huge. It's huge and it's massive and the reason that we are supposed to practice hospitality is because it is the very heart of God to do it. Does that make sense? So if anyone ever asks you, why is hospitality such a big deal? And you're like, well, there's this word. It's called philoxenos. And it means, like, what does that word mean? It means to be a, a, a befriender or a lover of the stranger. What does that mean? Oh, it means that God, uh, God we were a far God, God, but he philoxenosed us. And he brought us in, and now we're, now we're believers. I don't think philoxenosed is a word, but if you can remember it, the point being that you, con you have a concept and an understanding that you were once separated from God. 
And we have, we must remember that. It's what all these epistles are talking about. It's what all this gospel is talking about. We were once lost. And now, because we're not lost, because we're now part of God's household, our lives are radically different. Okay. So that is like the what and the why of hospitality, okay? What it is, right? Uh, we're going to look at more what it is. But the, the what it is in the Bible, like that it is a requirement and it is a commandment. And then why is it so important? Does that make sense at this point? Why hospitality is so important? Great. So we have not dealt yet with your, uh, your deep-seated fear of having people into your house. So um, let me just say, first and foremost, that whatever your house looks like right now, I guarantee you it is cleaner and neater than 99% of every house in the first century, okay? Uh, you have a floor not made of dirt. Now, not every floor was dirt. Some houses, I'm sure, were very nice and had marble floors or something. But if you were poor, in the first century, your home had no floor. You stood on dirt. And when it rained, dirt gets wet and turns into mud, right? And so, like, it, it's not... These houses were probably not fancy, okay? So trying to define, well, what is hospitality today? We're going to first, I think in order to give us a framework, I want to look at what hospitality is not first and sort of assuage some of those fears and then look a little bit of what hospitality is. And my hope is that you will get hungry to do this in your own home and that in the spring, I want to help equip you to not only bring people into your home, but to be able to bring an unbeliever into your home for the purpose of sitting with them, listening to them, feeding them some food, hearing their stories, praying with them, and giving an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's, what, that's the goal. Just so you know, there's a clear, transparent end goal. I want you to bring unbelievers into your house and give them the love and the light and the hope of Jesus, right? And you may be thinking, I don't know how to do that. That's all right. I want to teach you. I want to equip you to do that. But before... Let's look at some of the things that hospitality is not. All right. I know that Hebrews says the word entertain strangers, but hospitality is not entertaining, okay? It's not entertaining. Entertaining is actually, in our culture, entertainment is, is the focus of the entertaining is really the host or the hostess. When you go over to somebody's house, what do you bring? Hostess gift. Why? Because the focus of entertaining is the hostess. Why? She does all this stuff. She cleaned her house. She made all this food. She put up the things. She got the special plate. She got the candles and blah, blah, blah. She put in the music. Everything's perfect. Look, wow, I'm being entertained. That is not hospitality. By the way, entertainment is great. Throwing a party, fantastic. I love a good party. I think the church should throw the greatest and the best parties of any people anywhere in history. We should make the best art. We should write the best music. We should make the best movies. We should build the best buildings. We should build the best cars. We should make the best cups. We should do everything better than everybody. Why? Because we love Jesus. Okay, total sidetrack, but entertainment is fine. It's great, but that is not hospitality. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about entertaining people. If you want to entertain people, like, go for it. Throw a party. Put out the dishes. Put on the fancy stuff. Scrub everything. Make everything neat and orderly. Do, throw a party. Hospitality, however, the focus of hospitality is actually the risen Christ. It's not you. It's not the host. It's not the hostess. It's Jesus. So you bring hospitality. Hospitality is bringing people in. Well, that's what hospitality is. We'll get to that in a second. But it's not entertaining. So take that off of your plate of what hospitality is. It is not entertaining people. You do not have to make everything perfect to be hospitable. Okay? It's not entertaining. Hospitality is not a special occasion. 
Special occasions are also great. I love special occasions. Uh, weddings and birthdays and anniversaries. Special occasions are wonderful. We should celebrate them. Hospitality is not a special occasion. Hospitality is the regular invitation of people into your home. Okay? It is not a special occasion. If you want to wheel a special occasion in with hospitality, go for that. It does not have to be a special occasion for you to do it. So if you're, saying, you're like, well, I've got to wait for whatever. I've got to wait for this to have people over. No, you don't. You can literally have them over today, even with all the laundry on your couch. Maybe no one else here has laundry on the couch, but I bet if we were honest, we probably do. So hospitality is not foolishness, and it is not dangerous. Um, I do not want you to go and find some weird man and bring him into your home and have him sleep on your couch. Um, if the Lord's calling you to that and you don't have any children in your home, whatever. Uh, however, it is not foolishness and it is not dangerous, okay? You set boundaries. When people come into your home, kids don't play in the bedrooms. Why? Because kids don't play in the bedrooms together. Everybody's out in the open. If you're going to play in the yard, if you're play outside, keep people safe, okay? So hospitality is not foolish or dangerous. So don't think that, you know, like, oh, Brandon told me to go get a meth addict and bring him into my home. And no, no. Okay, the Lord calls you and equips you, and we as the body of Christ come around you and in wisdom and discernment think this is a great idea. Okay, yes, but please don't be foolish and do not be dangerous. Um, hospitality is not about you. It isn't. So it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel, and it's about that other person. When someone leaves your home, a hospitable home, they are thinking, they are encouraged, and they are better off than when they got there. Because hospitality is not about you. The main reason that we don't want to have people over, if we're being very honest, is because I don't want to feel bad because I didn't do everything right. If the brownies are burned, or if someone doesn't like tomatoes, or if I don't know that they're gluten-free and I made bread, I'm going to feel bad. You feel bad if you're entertaining because there's a, an idea of, oh, I have to entertain them. You don't entertain people to be hospitable. You will look at what you do, but you bring them into your home. And it isn't about you. So when things go wrong or things are messy or things are whatever, that's okay because you're not the focus anyway. Hospitality is not fancy. It's not mean that you have to get all of grandma's dishes out and put them out and scrub and polish everything. And it's just not. Hospitality is actually, well, look at the flip side of this. It's actually very simple, but it is not fancy. Hospitality is paper plates and hospitality is is. Uh, dirty feet, and things like that. It's not fancy. And it's not like Pinterest perfect or Insta-worthy. It isn't. Uh, people have asked me, like, hey, do you have pictures of what's going on in your house or whatever when people have people over? I'm like, no, because I'm not thinking about taking stupid pictures of stuff. I'm dealing with people. No, I don't have a picture of it. Ugh. Anyway, so someone wants a picture, and I'm like, I don't have a picture. Why? Because I was there in the moment. I wasn't taking pictures of stuff. Nothing wrong with taking pictures. Matter of fact, I actually would like some pictures of stuff in our house so I can document it. But um, <laughs> if you're there and you're thinking about, oh, this would look great on Pinterest, you're doing it wrong. Just have people over. It is not Pinterest perfect. Who cares? Who cares? You have to release all of that because hospitality is not entertaining. It's not a special uh, occasion. It's not foolishness or dangerous. It's not about you, and it isn't fancy. So what is it? Well, first and foremost, think about what hospitality is to us. Think about what philoxenos is to us. I was away. I was separate. I was a stranger. And Christ came and got me and brought me into the family. Hospitality is first and foremost, it is life-giving. It gives life to you, and it gives life to the people who come into your home. 
It is life-giving. It is not life-sucking. If you people leave your house and you're like, oh, I'm just like done. And by the way, I struggle with this. Just FYI, just disclaimer. Sometimes I get tired. Uh, there's a, a, a Rosaria Butterfield, who I'll talk about in just a second. She wrote a wonderful book, and she mentioned someone else whose name I can't remember, that says that a door has hinges for a reason. Okay? You do not always have to be hospitable. Sometimes you can close and lock the door and be like, I'm taking a nap, or my kids and I are watching a movie. I'll see you later. That's fine. So doors have hinges for a reason. And so, um, but it is life-giving. So if you find that it's life-sucking, you need to maybe pull back and think, okay, what's going on here? Why is this sucking life? It's supposed to be life-giving. Hospitality is sacred. A lot of churches call this space a sanctuary, a holy place, a set-aside place. It creates sacred space within your home. What does that mean? It means that it is, it is a place where we create space for Christ and we invite him in to minister to the people in our home. It's a sacred space where holy things happen, where you pray for people, where, I mean, like life group, we're a hot mess at life group, guys. It's, it is a mess. It's, we got kids everywhere. We got things that don't always go well. We got things, my kids break stuff. I mean, it's life. It's life. But it's sacred, and it is a place where Christ is working. He's encouraging us. He's challenging us. He's conforming us to his, him, himself. Hospitality is sacred. And so it should be something that is protected. Our, our, I feel like our society has zero idea of sacred things anymore. Or we, we, we make awful things sacred, like, or, you know, or like a football stadium. That is not a sacred space. I love football. I do. I'm a giant football fan, and I love going to uh, uh, and stand in Jones Stadium where my Texas Tech Red Raiders play. I love it. I get excited there, but it is not sacred. It is special, but it is not sacred. Hospitality is sacred. It's also simple. It's not fancy. It's simple. It's sandwiches. It's people bringing over bits and pieces of half-eaten bags of tortilla chips, and like, it's it's simple. The simpler, the better. How many loaves and fishes did Jesus need to feed 5,000 people? Not many. How many sandwiches does he need to feed 50 people in your house? He needs a lot, actually, because uh, unless he's going to actually multiply them and do a miracle, but he'll give you money, and you can go to the store and buy them. And then you can tell other people, hey, you bring bread, you bring cheese, you bring meat, you bring mustard, you bring ketchup, you bring chips, you bring fruit, somebody bring brownies, hopefully don't burn them. Bueno. That's how most of the loaves and fishes get ha- happen nowadays. If, uh, although there's been some times and I did not know where all the food was coming from and the soup pot just kept staying full. So do with, take with that what you will. Um, it is simple. Please make it simple. Uh, the reason it's simple is because it, it removes the hurdles to you doing it. If you make it fancy and complicated, you'll just make excuses for why it won't happen. But if it's simple, then it's like, all right, this is simple. And you know what? People like simple. They just like it, especially if they're hungry. Hungry people don't really care. They just want some food. So keep it simple. Hospitality is simple. Um, hospitality is an expression of love. Remember? Philoxenos, a lover of the stranger. It is an expression of love to that person, which one, takes the focus off of you, Two, puts the focus on that person and really, truly Christ's love for them. 
You and I are vessels of the love of the Lord Jesus that he pours out on a broken and hurting world. As you are poured out, someone else is loved. And hospitality is an expression of God's love for those people that you're bringing into your home, okay? Hospitality is kind. Um, It's just a simple kindness to ask someone into your home, plain and simple, in a world that is exceedingly unkind. The weather is unkind, people are unkind, the news is unkind, social media is unkind, work is, it is an unkind place. And so hospitality is kind. It is a kindness to the people you're bringing in. And remember what led us to repentance? Remember that from Romans chapter 2? It was the kindness of God which led us to repentance. How many people have been led to repentance through the kindness of a believer bringing, in, bringing them into their home? I bet a lot. Uh, hospitality is safe. Did I say safe already? Okay. What do I mean? There's a lot of word about safe space. Like we create, that's so funny, sorry. You get people who are like, I don't feel safe. Uh, and I'm like, nothing's happening to you. You're fine. Like somebody's mad at you. Like you're not, it's okay. You can, you don't, you're like, you're not, you're not making me safe. I'm like, nothing, I just disagree with you. You're not unsafe, okay? Just, just breathe. You're fine. So like, I don't mean a safe space. Like I need a safe space because life is hard. Uh, life is hard, by the way. And safe spaces are great, but the people who have no idea who they are get terrified because someone gets mad at them or disagrees with them or doesn't affirm them. So that's not what I mean. I don't mean that it is a safe space where people can come in and shelter around and, and, and worship their own insecurities. I mean, it is a place where people are physically, emotionally, and spiritually safe. So there's been a lady who, her name's Cynthia. She set up shop over here. I don't know if Cynthia's in here or not. Cynthia, if you're in here, I don't mean to be talking about you, but we, she's been living right over here across the street, and um, you know, she doesn't feel safe. I was talking to her the other day. She does not like being out there. Living on the street for a woman is not safe. She does not feel physically safe, mentally safe, spiritually safe. She is vulnerable. Hospitality is a place of safety. First, physical safety. No one gets hurt in our home, okay? Plain and simple. Our home is a safe spot. You don't hurt with words. You don't hurt with actions in our home, ever. It is safe. It's a place where someone who has walked around in an abusive, bruising world that is increasingly dysfunctional and hurtful, can come in and be safe, like physically safe, that they can sit on the couch and no one's going to hit them. I mean it. When I say that our places are sacred, I mean that it's a place where someone can come and be physically safe in your home. Not every home is physically safe. We've had folks that come over who did not grow up in a physically safe home. And in our home, you can be safe, physically safe. It is a place that is emotionally safe. You can come in, to a hospitable home, and you can share what's going on in your heart. You can share what you're struggling with. What are you feeling? I'm feeling sad, or I'm feeling great. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling, I don't know what I'm feeling. Well, let's sort it out, because it's a safe place. And then, then, like I said, that phrase kind of gets knocked around of, well, we need safe spaces, but we literally need safe spaces. And Christian homes are the apex of a safe space. They should be sanctuaries, a sacred space where people can come in and share what's going on in their heart. It's a spiritually safe place where you can come in and share your doubts, share your fears, um, where you can come in and not expect spiritual rejection. Like I'm gonna, I mean, okay, granted, uh, sometimes you, you, get, you bounce around each other. If someone uh, maybe gets off base, you, in love, correct one another. 
but it is a spiritually safe place where you come in and show your spiritual vulnerabilities. This is what I'm struggling with. All these things. I'm dealing with this kind of doubt. I don't know, understand why God would do this thing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I'm struggling with, is God really good? Where you can ask these questions and in a place where you can talk about it with other believers, encounter the word of God, listen to the Holy Spirit and encourage one another. It is a place that is safe. Hospitality is safe and creates safe spaces. It creates sanctuaries or sacred places in your home where these things can happen. And finally, uh, hospitality is an act of war, which I know seems contrary to the safety of it. The reason I say that is because we just finished studying Ephesians chapter 6. Guess what? We have an enemy, and we are in a spiritual battle, a very real spiritual battle. He roars, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for people to devour. He's not seeking for people to just play with. He is a horrible, terrible enemy. And if you don't think he's horrible, just read the book of Revelation. He's the red dragon. He's really bad. Like he's bad. And he's everything that's wrapped up in bad. And God is going to take him and stick him in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But that hasn't happened yet. And right now, we have an enemy. We have a world that tries to push us into its mold. And the reason it does that is because it is a culture that is created by broken people interacting with a broken creation. Culture is simply what happens when human beings interact with God's creation. I interact with, with nature, and I need a place to live, so I build a structure. I build a structure, and then we build more structures. I interact with other people, and we create a society. We develop, we develop philosophies. We develop business practices. We develop governments. If those things are not done within the confines of God's word, they're broken. And so every culture has some redeeming quality. And the Afghans, even though they're Muslims and the, our sweet guys are lost, man, they knock hospitality out of the park. They are great at it. Uh, Americans do some things really, 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 really well. We're really great at businesses. Great. We're like great at enterprise. That's a good thing to be good at, by the way. And Americans are great at it. We're not so great at hospitality. So we can learn from other cultures and be able to discern what is something about another culture that is working really, really well that is in line with who, who God is, the truth of God's word, and I can redeem that thing and use it in my home. But when we say culture, we're often talking about the world, meaning the philosophy that is contrary to the truth of God's word. And it's trying to push this into its mold and, and kick out little replicas of itself. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, our own flesh, which is insidious and wells up within us. And a home, a hospitable home, is a place where someone can come we're struggling with their flesh, and we can talk about what that flesh is, and we can pray about it, and we can encourage, and we can confront it, and we can confront it with the truth of God's word, and we can walk forward in that. So those things are acts of war against an enemy who wants to destroy us, the world and the flesh and the devil. And when we come into a home, it is a place of light, and outside of it may not be light. And so there's a quote here from, there's a lady named Rosaria Butterfield, if you don't know who she is, um, Rosaria Butterfield. She's written several books. I'm trying to get a quote from her I have here. Uh, one she wrote called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which Katie Rock gave us a long time ago, and, and uh, it's a delightful, wonderful book. She's written several others. She's a wonderful voice in, uh, in the Christian world and our great sister in the Lord. She says, um, hospitality is living your transparent Christian life before a watching world that despises you. Say it again. Hospitality is, a, is living your transparent Christian life, right? Not the fluff, not the Instagram life, not the, not the everything's perfect Christian life. Your transparent Christian life, this is really what we do. Before a watching world, the world is paying attention to how Christians live. Pay attention. And because the first thing you talk, if you talk to an unbeliever about Christians, what will they bring up? Christians are terrible. 
That's their first argument. And the best answer to that is you're right. Yes, you are. Many Christians are terrible. Jesus is not. And second off, not all Christians are terrible. So that's a terrible argument, all right? Christians have done an enormous amount of things, hospitals, universities. Okay, just most of the great things that we have today as societies, Christians started. So don't let somebody take it on that path. But anyway, before a watching world that despises you, the world does not love you as a Christian. Matter of fact, it looks at you and is desiring your failure. Because when a Christian leader has an affair and falls, the devil loves it, loves it. And the world loves it because they despise us. So what do we do? A couple things. Um, one, very simply, this right here, you've, some of you have seen this right here. You can take one of these things, you can pray. These are neighborhood prayer guides. They're just stuck out there. They're like, I just flung them out there. I'm terrible at displays and stuff. So they're outside by the, on the little table over here against this wall by some like movie chairs. There's a bunch of these. There's week one and week two. They're just seven days of walking around your neighborhood and praying. Like the first one says, uh, it gives instructions. And then it's like, it takes um, a, something from John 1.14 and you kind of pray that passage over your neighborhood. The next one is from Psalm 122, six through nine. You're kind of praying that over your neighborhood. It is not, it is simple. It is not complicated. Um, I would encourage you just to take them and bundle up this week and walk around your neighborhood and pray. If you prayed through them before, like it's, it's, they're still good prayers. They don't like expire. And, or, or don't use that. I don't, I don't care. It's just a guide, right? It's the same thing as everything. You want to just walk around your neighborhood and pray. Well, by all means, walk around your neighborhood and pray. My encouragement to you is do it. Grab one of these things and use it as a tool to pray for your neighborhood. Just bundle up, go for a walk, and pray. Walk in the morning, walk in the afternoon. I don't know when you have time. Maybe you say no to something so that you can walk around your neighborhood and pray. If you don't have 15 minutes to walk around your neighborhood and pray, you got to drop something, okay? You, you've got to have, I don't know what you drop, but you, you've got 15 minutes to walk around your neighborhood and pray. Or 10 or five, I'll take five. So, one, pray. Second, um, Thanksgiving is coming up soon. November starts uh, this week, which is nuts, by the way. October is like, see ya. It's crazy. And every, what is it? The days are long, but the years are short. They get, they're fast. Thanksgiving is coming. I would like to challenge you to invite someone into your home that needs a place to be. One of the great gifts of hospitality, give someone who would otherwise be alone a group of people to be with. That's it. And if you've ever been alone and you've had somebody invite you over, it feels really good. And so I don't know who that person is. I don't know if that's, I have no idea. But I want to encourage you to invite someone into your home on Thanksgiving, okay? Maybe you're saying, well, uh, I'm not going to be at my house for Thanksgiving. That's great. Invite somebody to their house. So I think that's great. You're like, we're going to be at grandma's. You're like, great. You're like, Grammy, we're coming. And I'm bringing some strangers. And if they don't like it, well, Talk about that after. I'd rather deal with the fallout of that than, uh, than you not do it at all. So I want to challenge you, though. Maybe it's not on Thanksgiving Day if you're out of town or whatever. Bring them over that week. This month, right, but especially around Thanksgiving, pray for the Lord to show you a stranger to love, okay? Say, Lord, please show me a stranger that I can befriend and bring into our home, okay? And then whoever the Lord shows you, bring them in. If you run into trouble, like, let us know. I'm not saying it's going to be neat and pretty and everything. And I'm also not saying, please, I'm going to say this again, don't bring someone dangerous into your home, okay? Be wise, please. Um, but I want to challenge you to bring a stranger in. And 
The final thing I want you to, uh, to do is just, I want you to, this month, I want you to be thinking about how the Lord brought you in as the stranger. And remember what it was like to not know him, to be on the outside. Or remember what it's like to be on the outside if you've been saved and been kicked out by a bunch of people. Social life is hard. Remember what it's like to be a stranger and have compassion for someone around you and bring them in. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you and thank you for your great grace uh, in loving us so well. I thank you that you came to rescue us, um, that you saw us far away, that you became a lover of, you were a, you're a, that you were a lover of the stranger, a lover of um, the lost, a lover of those who are far away. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart for people. Give us your heart for our fellow believer, that our homes and our hearts and our kitchens would always be open to anyone in need within the body of Christ. I pray that if there is anyone here, Lord, who ever needs a place to stay or a meal, that you would, they would be so overwhelmed that they wouldn't know what to do. And that they would be so overwhelmed with invitations and opportunities for people who are seeking them out, pursuing them in hospitality. Help us to do that really well, Lord. And I pray that you would give us a heart for those who are outside of our body, a heart for the lost who don't know you, for the neighbor who is far from you, for the friend who we know doesn't know you, but we've never had him over. And Lord, I pray that as we spend time here responding to you in worship, that you would begin to bring people to mind, bring people to our heart that you would desire for us to be hospitable to. And I pray that you would make us a church that does this really well, that does the ministry of hospitality well, that we practice it, that we live it out, that we walk in obedience to your word, and that we do this with great joy, with no grumbling, and that you would bring all the life and the joy and the beauty that comes from a people who do this well. We lift all these things up to you in your risen and exalted name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this final song. Um, just sealing our hearts before the Lord, committing to following him and committing to walking in obedience to his word.
All right, so if you invite somebody over and you got laundry on the couch, just ask them to help you fold it. And like if your floors are dirty, give them a broom. Like it's not super complicated. Invite them into the real life that you live and love them in the name of Jesus and go in peace.